0: The reason I'm here, as Todd says, I want to share with you some things that I hope, no matter where you are in your relationship, in your marriage, with your children, with your adult children, with your grandparents, with your in-laws, coworkers, your boss, people that maybe you were once connected to that you're now disconnected with. I know out there people have all kinds of relationships. This is applicable to every single relationship that you might have. And uh I hope in some way, shape, or form that it helps you. So let me just pray, and then we'll begin. Father, you know where every single person out there is, and you know what they need. And so right now, I just submit myself to you, to your Holy Spirit, and I ask you to speak through me to the people in this audience right now and to give them what it is that they need. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start by showing you a little video, which will make sense after you see it. So if you have your cell phone on, unless it's the app to follow the service, maybe you ought to turn it off. And I don't speak that language, but I think maybe it might say, why don't you turn your cell phone off more often? What are we all trying to do with that? I mean, what is it? Like everywhere you go, people are on their cell phones. I go to my house, my wife's on her cell phone. I go to the office, people on their cell phones. I go to a meeting, people on their cell phones. I went skiing one time, and all six of the guys that were up on the top of the mountain overlooking beautiful mountains, all on their cell phones. You're in the car, they're on their cell phone. You're in the bed, they're, in the, they're on the cell phone. What are all these people and what are all of us doing on these cell phones? We live in a world that, because of technology, is you can contact anyone, anywhere, at any time. You can FaceTime someone on the other side of the world. My daughter and son-in-law just took my two grandchildren 13 time zones away to Singapore. They were 13 hours away, and I was visiting them like four or five times a year, and I made the mistake of opening my heart, the cynic that I am, and letting them in. And I got very attached, and when they moved over there, when he told me, I I was so stunned and so shocked and so devastated, I didn't talk to him or my daughter for six months. It felt like they had all been killed in an automobile crash. That's what it felt like. And then I repented, and I booked a trip, and I went to Singapore and saw my two grandchildren. And it was worth every thir- it took 30 hours to get there, three flights. Um, but it was worth every bit of it because I got enough hugs and love, real love, without cell phones to last me a long time. And you see, the the ironic thing is, even though technology has made the world smaller and it's supposed to help us to connect better, the question I have for you, has it really done that? You know, all of these people are on their cell phones in this video trying to connect with someone, and in the process, they're disconnecting from the very people that they're with. The title of the video is Disconnect to Connect, and that's what many of us are doing with social media. Do you think that 400 friends on Facebook and following their lives on Facebook is the same as a real live relationship? It's the difference between looking at a menu with pictures of food and eating food. It's a big difference. I'll take a real live relationship any day over a text or social media connect. I don't even have a Facebook. I don't I'm not even on Facebook. Not to mention the problems that it causes. It, this research has shown that 20% of all uh affairs now that happen are directly related to chatting on the internet or through some social media type device. And look, I'm not knocking it. We need to text. It's good. It's good. I mean, you know. But just remember, we did without cell phones for a long time, and we were fine. Probably better off. So I'm not saying don't use your cell phone, don't text. But notice the difference between the real thing and notice what you're missing. Maybe put it away. Even if you can't turn it totally off, take a break from it for a while. At least when you're watch, when you're having dinner or put it away for a while while you're being with the people that you supposedly love. And pay attention to them. 2,000 years ago, someone asked Jesus a question about what was most important in life and there's a scripture up on the screen Mark chapter 12 29 through 31 and one of the scribes asked him Jesus what commandment is the foremost of all Jesus answered the foremost is you shall love the Lord with all your Lord God your Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength the second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We typically teach this as the two great commandments, and as Todd rightly pointed out, it's the two things most important in life, love God and love others. But you know what? These two commandments, actually when you think about it, reveal our three greatest, or our two greatest needs. They, what, are, what are our greatest needs? The two great commandments reveal our, our greatest needs, and they are for love and connection. The three greatest needs implied is that we need love from God, we need love from others, and we need to love ourselves. So if God commands us to love him, it means that we also need the love of God. If God commands us to love others, it means we need others to love us. And if we're commanded to love others as we love ourselves, it means that we're supposed to love ourselves. Love others as you love yourself. Could mean like just like you love yourself, love your neighbor or others, or hey, In the process of loving yourself, don't forget to love your neighbor or the other people around you. We're we're supposed to love God and others, but we also need God's love. We need the love of others. We were created to love and be loved. Why are we even commanded to love? It's because we need it, but true love meets our deepest need. True love meets our deepest needs. And, you know, I've been a counselor for 35 years. I've done about 35, 25,000 hours worth of counseling. I don't know, 30,000 hours. I've studied the Bible. I've taught Bible studies. I, uh, I've read a lot of books. Um, I, some of y'all don't know. I'm a licensed minister. I've, I've studied the Bible. And so I've, I've, looked at it from a counseling perspective, I've looked at it from a speaking perspective, from my own learning perspective, and as a minister who studies the Bible. And I've come up with that there are seven core needs that everybody has. Basically, we all leave love and connection. But what does it look like? If if you were to follow God's commandment to love others, basically what you would do And you have a, a, there's an outline in the foyer, if you haven't got it, you can get it on the way out, which has these seven core needs on it. We all need attention, which would be like quality time to be shown interest and given consideration. We need affection, which is fondness or tenderness or care expressed through physical touch. We need affirmation, which is words of praise, thanks, recognition of effort. Those are three of the love languages, by the way. Time, affection, and words. Time, touch, and words. We also need acceptance, which is a sense of belonging, approval to be desired or received willingly. Significance, which is purpose, meaning to be treated by others as worthy and important, respect. We need security, which is to feel safe, protection, freedom from fear or threat of harm, and we need support from time to time, which could look like practical help, comfort, empathy, encouragement, and guidance. We all need these things. And the reason we're commanded to love is because God knows we need these things. When you're patient, when you're kind, when you're forgiving, when you believe all things, hope all things, and do all those things that love is, love meets those needs. When those needs are not met, bad things happen. We we don't function. It's like when our heart, our spiritual heart, our soul, doesn't get those needs met, is when we do bad things, is when we sin, or when we... When problems occur in relationships, we're going to get into that. Just like the heart, the physical heart needs blood to survive, our, our soul needs love in order to be healthy and survive. So I have a, because a picture speaks a thousand words, I want you to watch this other little video, which shows a young child and her mother. Check it out.
1: Babies this young are extremely responsive to the emotions and the reactivity and the social interaction that they get from the world around them. This is something that we started studying, oh, 30, 40 years ago when people didn't think that infants could engage in social interaction. In this still face experiment, what the mother did was she sits down and she's playing with her baby who's about a year of age.
2: I'm like a girl. Oh.
1: And she gives a greeting to the baby, the baby gives a greeting back to her. This baby starts pointing at different places in the world and the mother's trying to engage her and play with her. They're working to coordinate their emotions and their intentions, what they want to do in the world and that's really what the baby is used to. And then we ask the mother to not respond to the baby. The baby very quickly picks up on this and then she uses all of her abilities to try and get the mother back. She smiles at the mother. She points because she's used to the mother looking where she points. The baby puts both hands up in front of her and says, what's happening here? She makes that screechy sound at the mother, like, come on, why aren't we doing this? Even in this two minutes when they don't get the normal reaction. They react with negative emotions. They turn away. They feel the stress of it. They actually may lose control of their posture because of the stress that they're experiencing.
3: Okay. Okay. I'm here. And what are you
2: doing? Oh, yes. Oh, a would-be girl.
1: It's a little like the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good is that normal stuff that goes on that we all do with our kids. The bad is when something bad happens, but the infant can overcome it. After all, when you stop the still face, the mother and the baby start to play again. The ugly is when you don't give the child any chance to get back to the good. There's no reparation, and they're stuck in that really ugly situation.
0: Some of y'all are getting worried there, right? Some of y'all actually had some real strong feelings, and there's a reason for that. You come on the four Wednesday nights and you'll find out what that is. In response to the separation distress that the baby felt when she lost her connection with her mother, she, what did she do? She smiled, she pointed, she Tried to play patty cake, tried to get the mother's attention, which was trying to connect. Well, when she couldn't get the connection, what, what did she do? She reached out with both arms, she screeched, she cried. She was demanding, trying to demand the mother's attention. And if any of y'all have small children or take care of small children, you know the children have a way of getting your attention even when you're distracted or you don't have time or you can't pay attention to them. And then, when she couldn't get it, when even that didn't work, what she did was she turned away and disengaged. And that, in essence, is what we all do. It doesn't just happen with a baby. It's from the cradle to the grave. Throughout every developmental stage of your life, when you're a young infant, a toddler, Middle school, high school, dating, marriage, into old age, and even when you get very elderly and become senile, and then all the way to heaven. We all do the same thing. We try to connect. We want to connect. And if we don't want to, it's because something bad happened to us. I'm going to explain that in the series as well. But if we can't get the connection, we'll typically do one of two things. We'll try to demand it. We'll fight to get it. We'll get upset and pressure it, the other person. And if that doesn't work, we'll disengage. We'll shut down. We'll withdraw. We'll, we'll freeze. We'll run away. And I drew a diagram many years ago and some of y'all have seen it before which kind of explains the whole human condition, in a sense. And it it, it doesn't have it up on the screen, but it has it on your outline, and those are in the foyer. I call it the journey of the heart. So we go through life, and you see a heart represents my, my true heart, not my physical heart, my heart, my soul, my inner being. My true heart needs those seven core needs, which in essence we'll boil it down to love and connection. I need love and connection. Okay? And what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to be connected with God and I'm supposed to love God and receive love from God. Hence the two arrows going both ways. It's a a relationship where I give him love, he gives me love. He gives me love, then I can give him love. And then with others... You know, I love them, they love me. We're meant to give and receive love. And then I'm supposed to love myself. God loves me. One reason you should love yourself is because God loves you. God died for you. He thinks very highly of you. You're one of his favorites. And if you're one of his favorites, there's reason enough to take care of yourself. If he loves you, that means you're valuable. And you ought to treat yourself like you're valuable, which means you need to take care of yourself. Why should you take care of yourself, and why should you love yourself? So that you are capable of and in good shape so that you can love others. If you don't take care of yourself, you won't be able to love others. You won't even have the energy to love God. They all three work together, and they're all important. And when life is going good, if we we were, in essence, hooked up to God, loving God, receiving God's love, loving others, receiving the love of others, and taking care of ourselves, then we would be wholehearted, which is the way that I believe God intended us to be. But as we go through life, what happens is people die. Moms and dads don't take proper care of their children, and their children are hurt. Some of us are traumatized or abused. We start to love someone, and they break up with us or they cheat on us or they lie to us, they hurt us, they betray us, and our hearts are broken. Jesus said he came to bind up the broken heart. Our hearts get broken. We've all had our hearts broken at one time or another in some way, shape, or form. And once our hearts are broken enough, enough times, Sometimes we lose heart. And many people that lose heart, like, disengage. They act like they don't really need love. Or they'll become abusive and demand love. And there's other scenarios. But we lose heart. And ultimately, after we've lost heart, we become half-hearted creatures. We're not living wholehearted. We're not connected. We're not open, vulnerable, and loving and receiving love. We are brokenhearted. We've lost heart, and we're half-hearted, which is a miserable existence. Very lonely. And, And what happens? The top of the heart is the healthy response. The bottom is the unhealthy response. What we end up doing... Like I said, we demand, we fight, we protest, we push, we put pressure on the people in our lives to give us what we need, what we maybe never got or to make up for the hurt that was done to us. In some cases, we look at them like they're God. We look to them to supply all of the love that we need. They can't. No human being can. We were meant to get love from God others, our spouse, and we were supposed to love ourselves. If we direct all of that towards one person and expect one person to give us all the love that, they, that we need, even if they were perfect, they couldn't do it. And it will eventually ruin the relationship. The other extreme is we disengage, which is part of what I did growing up in an alcoholic family. Uh, my mom and dad were so messed up, They couldn't, like, be there for us, and I was the oldest child. So one thing I learned was, no, you can't trust anybody. You, you know, really, you shouldn't show your feelings, and you should just basically be independent because if you need anybody, they're going to hurt you. You can't rely on anybody to take care of you or to trust you or to love you. So you just pretty much take care of yourself, and and I disengaged from life which is like avoiding or denying my own need for love. The third option, which many of us do, because these two places are painful. They hurt. They're painful. creates loneliness, anxiety, anger, depression, fear, shame. And what do we do with those feelings? We don't like them. So we displace our need. We we turn to alcohol and drugs. We we turn to food. We we engage in unhealthy sex. We become workaholics. We we get addicted to entertainment, to gaming, or to planning the next thing or the, buying the next toy, just planning things to make us happy in life that only give us temporary happiness or we engage in unhealthy relationships, and many people settle for relationships through text and social media. It gives you a sense of being connected, but you're not really. It's a counterfeit. And what we end up doing, in essence, is medicating and escaping pain and settling for counterfeit good and worship. This applies to every human being on earth. This is what we do. This is why we do it. There's some great quotes. Thomas Aquinas said, All sin is rooted in a legitimate God-given desire. We all need certain things, those seven core needs. Nothing wrong with needing love and connection and those seven core needs. But what happens is when we don't get them met through God and others the right way, when we don't take care of ourselves, we end up getting them met in the wrong way, and we end up sinning. All sin is rooted in a legitimate God-given desire. Every G.K. Chesterton, which was the mentor of C.S. Lewis, he said every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is really looking for God. He just doesn't know it. He's looking for love and connection. Then, I don't know where this came from, but I've used it for many years, all addiction, compulsive, addictive behavior, sinful behavior, is following a spiritual calling but going to the wrong address. And then the last one, great one by C.S. Lewis, our Lord he says, finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like a ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea we are far too easily pleased. We settle for the counterfeits. Our desires are not too strong. They're too weak. True love, real love and connection, as God intended, is the most powerful, most satisfying force in the universe. Take a look at this and see what happens. when
2: people are very old and deteriorated and no one enters their world and they're just sitting there, they will withdraw inward more and more. And their desperate need for for connection is all now inside. And if a person is all alone, even if they're very, very deteriorated, there's a longing for this kind of closeness. Mrs. Wilson, Hello. You want me to sit? Can you see me good? Gladys Wilson is a wonderful example of a person who is in the phase of repetitive motion where people use movements, repetitive movements, because they don't have any more speech or very little speech, but they have human needs that need to be expressed. You're crying. You have a tear right here in your face. You have a little pain. You don't want me to touch you. You're very sad. Can you see me? Is it scary? Are you afraid? And if this person sits with their eyes closed rocking back and forth, and maybe there's a tear coming down. There's a need there. There's a little tear that's coming out. You feel it? You feel a little tear? If you gently use touch, and I touched Gladys Wilson for the fingertips right here on the cheek is where the mother usually touches a child. If you touch an infant there, it looks up. And every cell remembers where it was touched by the mother. And often that person knows, even if they can't say a word at that moment, they won't talk, but, or they don't want to talk. But there's, there's a communication. And that person is no longer alone. Can you let me in a little bit? You think, just a little? You think I could be with you and Jesus for a minute? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I used music because when speech is gone, music, especially with Gladys Wilson, it was religious music because there's emotion tied to it and safety tied to it. So I used her old church songs. Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. What I did was, when she moved, I moved with her. And when I was singing, because she didn't sing with me, so I matched the intensity of my voice to the intensity of her movement. And pretty soon, for a split second, We became one person. Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. So at one point, when she got very quiet and very peaceful, and my voice became very quiet as hers and very peaceful, and my breathing slowed to her breathing, she pulled me to her, and I moved with her. And for her at that moment, I believe I was a symbol of of her mom. Can you open your eyes now? Do you see me? Feel safe and warm? Yes? Can you sing with me? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. In his hand. He's got the whole world. In his hands. He's got the mothers and the fathers. Kind of in his He's got the mothers and the fathers. In his He's got the mothers and the fathers. The breakthrough doesn't happen every time. The person will not always look their, open their eyes and look at you. But if you keep trying, and you send, keep centering yourself, and uh, really look at that person, and really mirror their movements, maybe not this time, but the next time you come, you'll have a communication. You feel safe? You feel safe? <laughs> yeah. With Jesus? And me.
0: So, what happened? Uh, What happened to make this woman come alive again? What did this uh, this therapist worker, Naomi, do really? You know, we say love is patient, love is kind. The other sixteen characteristics. I want to give you a really simple way to think about it. Love is A-R-E, the anacronym, A-R-E. Attuned, which means attentive and accessible, responsive, and emotionally engaged. We're going to go into this very deeply in the four-part series. What Naomi did was be with that woman in a way that we rarely be with people. We talk about love, we sing about love, but but a lot of us just don't really know how to love people, even our Christian brothers and sisters, even in church. And, you know, what this woman did, if I was to put one word on it, is she deeply empathized with this woman. She showed tremendous empathy. and. I wanna show you a two and a half minute video clip on what empathy really looks like, and then we're gonna close with five minutes. We're gonna be on time. So check this out. This is something you can learn.
3: So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions Very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. (laughs) Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no. You want a sandwich? Um. Empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah, and we do it all the time, because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So, I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection.
0: Definition of empathy, perspective taking, staying out of judgment, recognizing emotions in others and communicating that. That's what Naomi did with that woman. Next slide. Brene Brown, who created a video, who's done some remarkable research on vulnerability and shame, written some great books. You ought to go check her out. Rarely does a response, she said, which what she means is an answer or a solution makes something better. What makes something better is connection. And One more quote. In order to connect with them, and this is why we have difficulty, in order to connect with them, to really connect with other people, especially when they're hurting. I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. A lot of times I don't want to. So my question is twofold. Do you have empathy? How well do you show empathy toward your loved ones? Have you ever received empathy when you're in a bad place? And what was that like? It's very powerful. I'm going to share a true story that happened to me in the series. Changed my life. Empathy is love in action. It is an incredible scripture. Because I believe, this is it. You cannot show love until you have received love. You cannot give love until you have received love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever should believe in him that would not perish but have eternal life. God gives love so that we can love. Without having received love, it's very difficult for us to love. Without having received forgiveness, it's hard for us to forgive others. Without having received grace, it's hard for us to give grace. Without having received empathy, it's hard to give empathy. There's this incredible scripture in Hebrews four fourteen through sixteen. I don't have it anywhere, but you can jot it down if you want to. And it's talking about Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who came from heaven to earth, became a creature, the creator became a creature, would be like one of us, you know, becoming an earthworm, setting aside our rights as a person, becoming an earthworm to go save earthworms. How many of you all would like to do that? It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, who cannot truly empathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Jesus saw us in a hole. God saw us in a hole in the muck and the mire, and he came down in the hole with us to connect with us because he loves us. Many of us don't think we're in a hole. We don't want to acknowledge that we fell in a hole. We're hiding in the hole. He comes to get us and it's like he's offering to come and be with us wherever we are, come to heal the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind, to set the captives free. The scripture says all we have to do is believe and repent to receive. And The the famous Roman road, which is the way to salvation. Romans 3.23 says, We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, separation from God, disconnection, which is death, horrible. Verse 5.8, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in a hole, and shaking our fists at God, blaming Him for being in the hole, he died for us and then came down in a hole with us. And then verse ten nine, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. And this is what it looks like. Put up the next diagram. We're disconnected from God. We're in a hole, separated from God, disconnected. Can't reach him. Because of our sin. So what he does, Jesus comes down to earth and bridges the gap. Next slide. And he offers a way to God through him. That if we'll believe in him and receive him, that not only do we get connected to God, but the love of God, the true life, Zoe and Agape, now travels through Jesus Via the Holy Spirit, which comes to live inside of me, and then last slide. When that happens, now I'm hooked up to the limitless supply of God. Of 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 God, I have an infinite source of Zoe, true life, and true love, Agape, that now I can get any time when I go to God. Now I don't have to go to others and demand it from others. I get it from God, and I go give it to others. And then I hang out with my Christian brothers and sisters that are also connected. And when I'm lost or in a hole because they're connected, they can give it to me, which is why you ought to be in a small group or you ought to connect regularly with other Christian brothers and sisters. Because God says, it says in the Bible that God is love. When you receive God, you receive love. Your job on life, in life is to become like Christ. But what it really means is to become Love, to become love, more loving, more able to give and to receive love. And you saw what the power of it can do to a human life. If the same power that raised Christ from the dead comes to live in you, imagine what it could do if you were abiding in that love, the effect that it could have on you and your relationships. Especially if you had some good skills that a good Christian counselor teaches you over four weeks for free. So I want you to bow your heads, and I'm going to pray with you. So there's many people out there, but I want to talk specifically to those of you who feel like you're disconnected from God, like you you don't feel like you know God. You feel that you don't really understand what God did for you through Jesus. What you need to do is three things. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that He died to pay the penalty for your sins, and he, raised, he was raised from the dead, and He's now seated at the right hand of God, and that through Him you can have life. And then commit your life to Him. Ask Him to come into your life, come into your heart, and you'll be saved and changed. If you want to do that, pray this prayer with me, silently. While I pray it out loud, just identify with the words in your heart. He can hear you. Dear Father in heaven, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I need you to save me. I believe that Jesus Christ was your son, died to pay the penalty for my sins, and rose from the dead to be seated at your right hand. Therefore, I ask for forgiveness of my sins based on what Jesus did for me. I thank you that through Christ, I'm forgiven. Jesus, I receive you right now as my Savior and Lord. I surrender control of my life and my relationships to you. I ask you to come into my heart and make me be the kind of person you want me to be. And I commit to follow you the rest of my life by your grace. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer for the first time, and you really meant it, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, has come to live inside of you, and will begin to change you, and enable you to do things that you were never able to do before. But in order to help you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I got a little booklet for you. I got some right here and some right here. It's called You Can't Make It Alone. First chapter is my personal testimony. Second chapter kind of explains how to get right with God, explains the gospel in simple terms, in a lot more detail than I had time to this morning. And the third chapter gives you some tips on how to grow in your faith. And it's a gift. You can come and get it for free. Now, This little booklet is only for people that just understood what I said for the first time. It's not a recommitment. This is for people that you just believe that you sincerely gave your life to Christ for the first time in your life. You prayed that prayer with me and you really meant it for the first time ever. This is for you. If this is a rededication for you, call my office and we'll mail you one. My number's on the outline. We'll get you one for free, but don't take one of these books, or then you'll have to confess a sin. Okay? Now, for the rest of you, I have a challenge. It's also on your outline. The challenge is, I think on the last slide, first of all, attend the upcoming four-part series on Wednesday nights here at the church. starts this Wednesday. Invite your family members, friends, and other people you care about to come also. Three, and this is what I really want to encourage you to do, think of at least three people you know who don't go to church at all or who really are struggling in their relationship with God and others, and take a risk. Invite them or even bring them with you. You can cut off the bottom of this last sheet, which has the series titles, the, 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 the session titles, uh, everyone needs love and connection. Session two, feeling, feelings, empathy, and vulnerability. Session three, resentment, repair, and reconnecting. Session four, staying connected and living wholehearted. And I'm going to be teaching stuff that is applicable to people in all types of relationships. It's going to be helpful no matter what. All kinds of good things you can take with you. I'm going to show videos like this. Each session, have handouts with fill in the blanks. It's going to be really powerful, and it'll be like... Wednesday nights, four Wednesday nights, an hour and a half. Don't tell them, don't invite them to church. Invite them to a to a relationship seminar. Okay? And we're going to play just a couple of songs, and then it's going to be primarily me doing what I just did today. Okay? So, uh, with that, I want to adjourn. If you prayed the prayer, come get one of these books. God bless everybody here. Help them to apply what they've learned wherever they are in relationships, I pray that this would be the beginning of a transformation. If anybody is alone, Lord, I pray that this would be the beginning of them connecting with you and connecting with others. If you need prayer, you want to talk to a pastor, there'll be some people up front, come down and they'll be happy to pray with you or talk with you. If you prayed that prayer that I prayed for the first time, come and grab a book. Todd, thank you. See ya. What is